There is a large body of research out there looking at all aspects of the way meditation affects the physiology, what it does to the brainwaves, how brainwaves become more coherent, how blood pressure goes down, heart rate goes down, blood pressure goes down. And this is actually across all types of meditation, whether you do a TM or mindfulness-based practice. There are studies that look at the meditation and attention deficit disorder and showing that it improves that. And then there are all kinds of quality of life studies showing that people who meditate tend to be happier, live longer lives, and just feel more connected to themselves. This is episode number 49 of the Inform Fitness Podcast. What's up, Inform Nation? I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network and a client of Inform Fitness. Can you believe we are knocking on the door of 50 total episodes for this podcast? Wow. Thank you very much for your continued support of this show and our sponsors. Now, over the past year and a half or so, Adam Zickerman, the founder of Inform Fitness, and Mike Rogers, the general manager of the Inform Fitness location there in Manhattan, along with a wide array of guests, have discussed in great length the importance of building muscle in a safe manner so that you can live the kind of life you want to live. We also have talked in great length about the value of adopting a nutritional plan that supports the building of that muscle and burning fat to supercharge your metabolism. Well, today, we will be drilling down into component or pillar number three to live a healthy and balanced life. Rest and recovery. As you well know, your body needs to recoup and heal following your 20 to 30 minute high intensity workout at Inform Fitness. Well, your mind also deserves an opportunity to be rejuvenated through proper sleep and mindfulness. So today, we are welcoming Dr. Benjamin Asher, who is based out of New York City and is a board certified head and neck surgeon and a transcendental meditation instructor. Dr. Asher will be providing us with an easy-to-understand conversation regarding mindfulness and meditation. He will break down the value of meditation, the various meditation methods, and how to get started on a path of rest, recovery, and mindfulness. Okay, welcome to the program. We have a really good show today. We have with us Dr. Benjamin Asher. He's a holistic ear, nose, and throat doctor, uh, but he's also a client of Inform Fitness, and we've known, Mike and I have known him for many years as a client, and uh, we've had many, many discussions about very interesting things. He's a fascinating man and uh, a great doctor. He, um, obviously a Western-trained doctor, a medical doctor in the United States and New York, but he's also a holistic. He also looks at the problems in modern medicine, and he deals with them, and he approaches medicine from both Eastern philosophy and modern Western philosophy, to really find the right balance to help the patient. Because there's a lot of problems in modern medicine, as we know. It's really a business. It's run like a business. And sometimes the business goals of a, of a medical practice are not exactly congruent with the goals of the patient. And uh, Dr. Asher is well aware of that, and he's dealt with it in his practice. Uh, but he's also a meditation expert, and that's kind of why he's here with us today, to talk about meditation uh, and it's nice to hear about meditation from a medically trained doctor because it's, it's unusual. So a lot of medically trained doctors, they poo-poo Eastern medicine. And, uh, you know, that's not cool either. But on the other hand, there's all these gurus out there that don't know anything about medicine. And they're acting as doctors and pushing just the Eastern philosophy. And that's also can be dangerous. A lot of people, for example, I know of uh, go for these holistic treatments when they're diagnosed with stage four metastatic cancer. 
And they think that getting IVs of vitamin C and B12 and, and meditating uh, is going to cure them of their metastatic cancer. And that, that's not necessarily the right thing either. So without further ado, let's bring on Dr. Asher. Welcome to the show, Dr. Asher. Hi, Adam. Thank you very much for having me. Hi, Mike. I appreciate uh, you folks uh, participating in this conversation, which I think it's a really important topic for people. And it's a very fundamental basis for uh, overall well-being. All right. So let me ask a question first. Uh, how did you become interested in meditation and stress reduction, being a medically Western-trained doctor? Well, I actually started meditating way before I went to medical school. And my interest in going to medical school actually was, I thought at the time that I, I felt so strongly about meditation practice that I felt that if I could be a doctor, I could get more people interested in having a meditation practice. So I started actually doing some form of meditation when I was 16 years old. And um, uh, once I started college, I started doing transcendental meditation, and I became a teacher of transcendental meditation. And after that, I've been doing all types of meditation practices and have studied many forms. And so when I, people talk to me about meditation, I don't just tell them, oh, do one type. I try to figure out what kind of meditation works best for different types of people and what they seem to like. Well, that's interesting. I mean, so yeah, there, I, do, I do know there are lots of different types of meditation. And that's, it's interesting that you help somebody, given their personality and whatever, whatever, whatever else makes them up, in your opinion, uh, will decide what meditation has set them up with. But before we get into the different types of meditation, I was wondering, like, maybe you can, you talked about stress and relieving stress. And why should we be so concerned about stress in general? If you look at the list of illnesses that, uh, that people are having in our society, at least the top 10 are somewhat stress-related. And the um, elevated stress levels just cause, um, they, it wrecks havoc on the, on the body. Um, it, elevated cortisol levels uh, promote diabetes. Uh, they promote heart disease, hypertension, stroke, reducing uh, immune function. So living uh, and not dealing with stress has a significantly adverse impact on our health and well-being. So that's just one aspect of it, not to mention that if we're chronically living in a state of anxiety and fear or depression, we're not leading a very happy life. Dr. Asher, what exactly does meditation do? Well, there is uh, a large body of research out there looking at all aspects of the way meditation affects the physiology, what it does to the brain waves, how brain waves become more coherent, how blood pressure goes down, heart rate goes down, blood pressure goes down. And this is actually across all types of meditation, whether you do a TM or mindfulness-based practice. Um, there are um, studies that look at the meditation and attention deficit disorder and showing that it improves that. Um, there are and then there are all kinds of quality of life studies showing that people who meditate tend to be happier, live longer lives, and just feel more connected to themselves. So it's a, across the board, if you want to do one thing that's going to really give you the most bang for your buck for your health, it's actually something really worthwhile. You know, I had you on the show because uh, this speaks to one of the pillars of our basic philosophy of my company, uh, exercise, rest, and nutrition. I mean, those are the three pillars that I like to point out for a really a good, 
healthy, balanced life. And you can't have one without the other. You need all three. And when I talk about pillar number three, rest, in my book, it's not just about getting enough sleep, which of course is important, but it goes way beyond you know, getting sleep. It's, it's what you were just talking about, dealing with stress. And when I use the word rest, it means a lot more again than sleep. There, there are all types of rest. You want to speak a little bit about the different types of rest that there are? Absolutely. So there are, there are different stages of sleep. There's REM sleep and you know, different uh, levels of sleep and how restful sleep becomes. And then each of those states of sleep have a physiological signature. Uh, and the same thing uh, in a meditation practice, there is actually a physiological signature of that, which is that the mind's awake and the body is in a deep state of rest. So it's, it allows and affords the, the body a different type of opportunity of rest for it to relieve itself of different kinds of issues. Uh, interestingly, uh, a new uh, development, which I just recently learned about, is something called the glymphatic system. The glymphatic system is actually the lymphatic system of the brain. Hmm. And it's how the brain detoxifies and the brain actually detoxifies in sleep. The brain actually detoxifies through the nose and sinuses. Mm. But it's important that we get, the reason why I'm bringing it up is, is that the rest that we get in sleep and in meditation actually helps clear our brains of toxins. So it's a very important thing to get. And uh, it, you can't uh, overemphasize that. Um, Dr. Asher, what are the types of meditation? So there are many types of meditation, but you can kind of break them down into um, a few broad categories. There are the mindfulness type meditations like Headspace, the app Headspace, John Kabat-Zinn's mindfulness-based stress reduction, Zen meditation or Buddhist meditation called Vipassana. And basically those practices are often associated with being aware of the breath and allowing the mind to just be and do what it's doing without judging it and just being present in the present moment. And uh, it's very relaxing. Uh, it, uh, it really trains us to be more present. And that ability to be more in the present moment takes us out of being in future think, which is what is a major cause of anxiety. Future think. Being in, totally being in the moment. And if you really actually, you could actually look at people that do uh, intense uh, activities like rock climbing. And it's actually a type of mindfulness practice because if you're, you know, rock climbing, you really have to be totally present uh, because you can't make, can't afford to make mistakes. It's really just one thing after the other, one step by step by step. I can imagine with performance of any kind, even if it's like public speaking or something physical, I feel like, you know, when you were talking about rest and the benefits of uh, getting proper rest and sleep and, you know, Adam was going into the pillar, but I was going into the idea of performance because I've been practicing meditation at times more consistent uh, than others, you know, in my life. But uh, at the times when I feel that I'm doing it uh, when I am more consistent, I'm finding that I'm stress managing is better. My golf game is better. And, and this does happen sometimes by sitting quietly in a chair, but it also sometimes happens while I'm quietly on my bicycle in the morning. You know what I'm saying? When nothing else is going on. 
Right. And even the practice of the intense workout in, in, in your center, it's actually it can be almost a meditative practice because it's you in the moment and you're working in the moment of what you're doing. And yeah, I actually have a line that I always ask my clients to see if, they're, uh, if they really get what we're doing. And I say, so what do you think the most important repetition of the set is? Usually say the last one or the first one or whatever. And I'll say, no, it's the one you're doing. Right. So it's totally being present in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So the meditation practice is a setup for being more mindful in any of those moments. And that's not one type of meditation practice. Then there are other types of meditation practice. So other types of meditations, which, which come from India mostly, are using a mantra, which is mm -hmm. some sound, usually a Sanskrit word, which quiets the mind down. Transcendental meditation is one of those. It is very effective. I mean, transcendental meditation, Vedic meditation, there's a, another, there are various uh, offshoots of that. Or Herbert Benson did the, um, where you meditate on the word one, uh, using a word. And then uh, the Christian centering practice, which is also like a mantra where you actually center on a prayer. It's contemplation, but it doesn't have to be contemplation. It can just be not really worrying about the meaning, but just the sound value which quiets the mind. Hmm. I'm a, I'm a queer. I, mean, I was just thinking about something. I haven't, I love yoga. I just haven't been able to uh, find time to do it recently. But uh, one of the things I absolutely love, if I break down all the elements I think about, the om, you know, and what is going on with the word om. And I was wondering, mm -hmm. I was just, do you have any idea why did they choose that? Where does that come from? And why does that feel? I mean, you feel like the vibration of the word and it's, there's this calming effect that happens when you say it. And I'm just wondering, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm digressing or going in a different direction, but I was just curious about that. It's a mantra, right? It is a mantra and it has a definite value of vibration. So the way you look at the vibrational value of the mantras are is that they have a way of entraining the physiology. So you entrain the brain waves with the mantra and that has an effect. So OM has a specific effect and has an effect on calming the body down in a certain kind of way. So are you saying that other mon like mantras, some of these other words, they have like a vibrational value as well, or is it? A they all have. They all have some vibrational value, and they all have different vibrational values. So it creates some sort of other energetic. So some mantras are more are are settling in different ways and can create different influences. So you could have you could. And is it like a diet where you need to have all the different nutrients and you have to try all these different vibrations or can you just pick a vibration and go with it? <laughs> I think you can, you know, I think it's complicated. Uh, <laughs> you, yeah. you can do it. You can pick the mantra that you want. But then on the other hand, there are people that use different mantras for different. For, for would you say, though, Dr. Asher, like step step one would be uh, like, I think I think you said before, but would you say like if of, of before everything, Focusing on the breath, or or uh, or listening to the breath, or attention to the breath, is that? Would you say that that's step one if you're going to just sort of start today and go home, and uh, or is there some greater instruction that you need to sort of uh, have when you say, oh, "I want to let me try this out for five minutes today"? Well, I um, I actually think that's a great suggestion, and there is a a breathing technique which. Uh, Dr. Richard Brown, who's a psychiatrist here in New York, has been teaching for a long time. It's called coherent breathing. Um, and basically, uh, you breathe in for six seconds, you breathe out for six seconds, in for six seconds, out for six seconds. And he has a, if you go on, 
I think he has a website. You can actually go on and get a little timer. There's a little bell that rings every six seconds so you can actually time your breath. And Dr. Brown has taken this technique and gone into totally war-torn countries where people have just been exposed to enormous amounts of trauma. And in a matter of a half an hour, taking these people who are in absolute total dire straits and just teaching this coherent breathing technique has created an enormous amount of positivity in the environment, made these people feel much better. So breathing is a very powerful tool, and this particular breathing technique works very well, and it's very simple to learn. So when you have, you said before that when you have a patient coming into your practice, uh, after you do your, your intake, you make a decision on how to guide them in this. I sort of looked to people and, and see where, what, it, what, what it feels like is going on. So people that have had a lot of trauma in their lives, uh, people that have PTSD, I have found that like the, the mantra technique where you just focus on the mantra or think the mantra actually tends to create a bit of a, of a depersonalization experience, which is uncomfortable for people that have had trauma in their lives. So I recommend for those people specifically, mm-hmm. they should do a mindfulness-based practice. Um, I think that people who are really, um, that they cannot settle down at all. There are some breathing practices, which I particularly like. There's one called Ananda Mandala, which uh, you can either get on Spotify. There's a Spotify playlist, or you can do it on YouTube, which is a, uh, a rapid breathing technique, which moves a lot of energy. Uh, it's very helpful for people. It reduces stress, and it sort of is, is energizing and makes you more awake and alert. So people that are having lots of issues with being overly fatigued. The biggest problem is, is that people don't want to sit down and meditate. I mean, that's really the reason why people don't do it is people don't want to. They, they would much rather be distracted in their lives. So what comes up is people will sit down and meditate and all the things they think they need to do come up. And so then they're uncomfortable or all the things they wish they'd done in their lives come up or all the regrets or something. So, you're saying the mantra takes you away from all those well, thoughts. The mantra can do that. And the, so the TM technique allows, gives people specific instructions about how to deal with those kind of thoughts. TM, you mean trans- Transcendental meditation, right. How is it different from, let's say, other mantra-based? Probably not all that different, if you want to know the truth. To learn TM, you need to go take a transcendental meditation course from a trained TM teacher, get the mantra that the TM people prescribe for you, and then they give you a course and explain you how to use the mantra. And that's basically, they have a prescribed way of doing it. And they do it the same for everybody. It's very systematic. There are other techniques where you learn mantras and you can use them. That are, they're used the same way. So the transcendental meditation mantra is one where you're not concentrating. So it's not a concentration technique. It's a way of thinking a mantra without concentrating on it. And other techniques of meditation do the same thing. What about like just walking? If you don't have the ability or the, or the, uh, the patience to sit still for however long, what's going on physiologically with an activity, a calming activity like walking? I, I, I totally think that's a perfectly great meditation. I mean, Thich Nhat Hanh, who is one of the great Buddhist meditation teachers, has a whole walking meditation practice that you do. And there's no reason why walking can't be a perfect meditation. And there are all kinds of movement meditations like Tai Chi and 
Qigong, where you're doing that and moving an enormous amount of energy and um, can be very relaxing. And Tai Chi is one of the great things to do if you have a balance disturbance. So people that have chronic disequilibrium doing Tai Chi not only moves energy, but actually helps restore the vestibular system and help you with uh, creating more physical balance. So I think that that's an important point you bring up, Mike, which is that meditation doesn't have to be, you know, the sitting practice where you're, you know, sitting there with your eyes closed. You can do any number of things where you're just creating more mindfulness and having a calming effect. I subscribe to using words like, uh, like energy, like when you're talking about moving energy and stuff like that, I somehow believe it. I feel it. How do you explain it from a, a medical science point of view when you're, when you're you know, using words like that? I, I mean, I, they communicate to me, but sometimes I feel like there's a barrier, like Adam, for, for example. <laughs> like I think Adam is a barrier with words like that sometimes, you know? Is that referring to something specific medically? or something that's going on physiologically in the body, or is there something that is more spiritual that you're talking about, I guess? That's what I'm... Well, that's a, I, I, it's, a, it's a fantastic question. There are multiple levels of that question, because really what human bodies are, or what living systems are, are energy systems. So you can look at it from any number of levels. So you can look at it just from the fact that what's going on in the body all the time is there's a, there are these chemical processes that are creating electrical impulses. That's our whole nervous system. It's all chemistry and electricity. So and you can measure all that. That's actually a measurable energetic. But then you do move into sort of, if you talk about the energy systems of traditional Chinese medicine and the meridians, well, that's not something that you can sit down and like, uh, it's not as measurable, but it's very real. And you know it's real because you can do surgery on people with acupuncture and they don't feel pain. So the, the, the acupuncture, whatever it's doing, is having an effect on the energy system. So there's that. And then there's this whole element of what people experience. If you're doing an intense breathing practice, with some sort of yogic breathing, and then you feel an enormous surge of energy in your body. Like that's energy, that's some experience. Um, Sexual energy is an experience. These are all experiences people have that are sort of in in an energy form. So it isn't really, it isn't really esoteric, but it is esoteric because when you, when you peel away the layers, you can actually, if you're, from a meditation perspective, you can actually go to the place where all you are experiencing is yourself as energy and nothing more. And that's a real experience. Yeah, it, it is. It's interesting. Like I'm uh, just thinking about like the how people change when, say, they're in a bad mood and they hear a funny joke. Like and how like their body changes their face. Like they actually you you feel better when you're just laughing. I don't know if you're distracted because you're laughing or something actually changed. Or like when you're if you're not feeling well and someone gives you a hug or something like that. And how what how the, physiologically what's going on when you, those little things change in your body? You know. That's actually a really good question, good point. And if you can even take that on a more macro level and look at it from the perspective of of what's going on in a room. If you walk into a room and two people have had a fight, 
and you didn't hear anything about the fight, but you walk into the room and you feel the energy in the room. There's something there. It's palpable, right? Whereas if you walk into a room and the room is filled, you're, you know, filled with loving energy, you can feel that. There's something that is within the human radar experience of, of which is not necessarily measurable, although there are well, Is, is it really energy that you're feeling in a case like that? Or is it really just people's body language that you're noticing without realizing you're noticing? No, you actually, I, I, I am certain that I could find you studies that actually look at that particular piece and show that people actually have an experience and are able to define what's going on. And there's a guy named uh, I, Edward Tiller, who is a physicist who's done an enormous amount of measurements of energy in rooms after people doing all kinds of meditation practices and has found all these different things that you can, you can measure uh, based on what's going on and the energy and the people in the room. He was a physicist at Stanford University for a number of years. Uh, and he's done a lot of research in this area. It's very, I mean, it's like very complicated math equations. <laughs> it's not easy to read, but uh, he's, uh, he's kind of been the pioneer, I think, in looking in that area. So Doc, let me ask you a question. If, if, if somebody's not in New York City and they can't come to see you, um, but if you are in New York City, by the way, you have to go see him. But <laughs> if you're not in New York City, how does someone decide how to choose a meditation practice? If you want to do your own research, I'd look up different types of practices, look up mindfulness practice, look up transcendental meditation, look up Vedic meditation, look up Kriya Yoga, and different kinds of things, and sort of see what there is, and then see what speaks to you. And if something seems to inspire you, I'd pick that. Like, what are the, some of the things they should consider, like the ease of fitting into their lifestyle or uh, if they have any history of trauma like you were talking about before? Right, exactly. So you want to pick something that you're going to be able to do. So uh, one of the things that I recommend to a lot of people is uh, Headspace because it's an app. You can download it. That's what I use, actually. I, just start, I just started using Headspace. Right. So, I mean, it, people seem to like it a lot, and uh, it helps – uh, it starts with a with a mindfulness practice and it develops over time. So that's a that's a, a simple thing to do. There are, you know, many books out there. There's a book, an old book by Lawrence Lachan called How to Meditate. And depending, you can go to you know meditation instruction. Many hospitals have mindfulness based stress reduction uh, instruction for patients. You know, uh, and then in a lot of cities, there's transcendental meditation centers. You can go there. You find do you find meditation to be uh, at times a substitute for certain drugs that are prescribed for to de-stress or depression or I don't know high blood pressure. There's actually a, a solid body of research on transcendental meditation and hypertension and getting people off antihypertensive medications. You know the mindfulness-based stress reduction in in the field of psychiatry is very very big in getting people off uh, medications. We got to be careful with that. I mean, I'd hate to go to like a meditate, let's say I go to a TM specialist, right? But he's not a doctor in, in your sense of the word. And he tells you, yeah, we're going to do this, you know, TM. And after about six weeks, you can start getting off your blood pressure. No, but why? Nobody would do that, Adam. I mean, that's not, what, <laughs> that's not how it works. But I, I would want to do this with somebody like you who knows both. But you don't need to go to a doctor to teach you to meditate. You can go to a meditate. You can, if, if you're trying to lower your blood pressure, you go learn how to meditate and go back to your blood doctor and get your blood pressure checked. Mm. I mean, 
that's totally, you don't have to have the doctor. But if you're on blood pressure medication while you're doing yoga, you don't know which is causing the low blood pressure, the medication or the yoga or the medication or the meditation, you know, like if you're on both. Well, no, you wouldn't know. Because- in other words, I, I'm just saying like, you know, you're doing this meditation for a while. You have high blood pressure. You, you're taking some kind of blood pressure medication, but now you're doing this meditation and you're doing it for a while and you're feeling really good. Is there a way of weaning yourself off the medication to see if the blood pressure starts creeping up again? I mean, how does that work? How do you know somebody can come off the blood pressure medication? I mean, that's up between the person and their doctor. So you basically would decide that you know what a person's blood pressure was before they started their practice. Then if they're meditating and it turns out that their blood pressure is really abnormally low, then you might want to wean them off blood pressure medication. They may be just taking too much. You know, I mean, it's a, it's an individual thing. It's not something you can do as a cookbook. Just sort of see how it works. Do, do you find a lot of doctors though would uh, like say like uh, someone listened to this podcast? Uh, they don't have a holistic doctor. Um, they sampled doing meditation for a few weeks and you know then approached their doctor or whatever. Let's say a couple months. Feel like maybe there was an effect to the meditation. You approach your doctor and say, hey, listen, I've been doing this. I listened to this holistic doctor who made a lot of sense to me. I gave it a shot. Uh, I'd like to uh, give, it a, give it a try. I think I want to try weaning myself off blood uh, pressure medication. What do you think? And what do you think most doctors are going to, I mean. That's a good question. I, I don't know. I mean, really, I think, I think the answer to that question is totally and completely variable. Some doctors yeah. know. Some doctors would say, great. You know, yeah. I think it's all about what the, how the doctor's looking at, at the patient and, and what their belief system is. So right. what, I, what that tells me more is that what is the patient's relationship to their doctor and have they picked the right doctor for themselves, right? You want yeah. to go to a doctor who supports you in whatever it is that you feel is important for your health. That makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Dr. Ash, I, I listened to a talk that you gave at a convention. Forgive me for not remembering which convention it was, but you were talking about the modern medicine modern paradigm medicine. and how it's set up. And you talk about how it's, it's built on fear and traumatic experiences, that illness is looked at as a punishment, that they're really uh, focusing on the disease. It's you against your disease. Uh, it's you against your cancer. It's you against your blood pressure. And, and you said that's not really the way medicine should be looking at things. Uh, I found that to be a really interesting uh, discussion. Basically, what you were saying is that we see ourselves, our bodies disconnected from the whole is something that you said. I did say that. And you also, and I don't know if this is related, but you also said during this talk that um, this idea of people saying, you know, let it go, you know, the expression, let it go, which is what I think some people falsely think is what meditation is about, letting go. And you, you disagreed with that. So I was wondering if you can speak to that a little bit before we, before we end this. So I think that one of the biggest problems that, that people uh, run into, and this does happen in, 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 in meditation practices, is that you, something comes up and, it, and something difficult comes up and people just keep on telling you, well, you just have to let it go. You have to let it go. You have to let it go. And people can't let things go because it, something keeps on coming up because there's some process that needs to happen for that. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that keeps coming up to be, resolved in some kind of way there's some some either emotional resolution some energetic resolution some way we have to be open to some experience so 
the idea that you should just let something go doesn't really work. So people are continually frustrated because they feel like they're, they're doing something wrong because they can't let certain feelings go. And that's what I'm saying in that moment. So what do you do when you're faced with something like that? Instead of letting it go, which is kind of like a, a jargon-esque, meaningless kind of statement, actually. Right. It's sort of a larger conversation. But when people are confronted with really difficult, challenging kinds of things, I tell people to allow themselves to make space for the whatever is going on, to give expression to whatever the feelings are or whatever is happening. You know, it's just allowing things to come up because it's all information. I sort of look at whatever is coming up in us, through us, as information that's informing us about ourselves, what's going on inside ourselves. So being open-minded, having a sense of inquiry, having a sense that, oh, it's okay to feel, to know what's going on, and allowing whatever it is to be present. Even if it's a really difficult experience, painful experience, this is a place where you actually have to sort of dive deep into your heart and open your heart up to yourself to allow yourself to have the experience because people don't want to look at the painful experiences. That's why in the world of post-traumatic stress disorder, the biggest thing to be happening right now is, are the, is a clinical trial in MDMA, which is the street drug ecstasy, but they're, it's, gonna, it's in phase three clinical trials. And that is a medicine that allows the heart to open up. Hmm called an empathogen. And people that have PTSD, they can't face whatever the problem, whatever the trauma is. They can't keep look, they can't look at it because it's just so traumatic. And this medicine allows your heart to expand so that you can look at this with a loving space. And two guided MDMA treatments is curative for PTSD in about 80% of people now. And I've watched videos of Iraq war veterans who have are in totally have been in terrible shape, rageaholics, do these PTS, do the MDMA therapy, and it's like, oh my God, unbelievable what they're able to uncover. And they're only certain trained therapists, and it's only going to be used in these very, very specific trained therapy sessions. All right. Thank you very much, Doc. It was really nice. We just scratched the surface, you know? I mean, there's so much to this. Go to Dr. Asher's website. It's BenjaminAsherMD.com. He has some articles there. He has a whole bunch of information on all kinds of things. Thanks, Doc. We are really grateful to Dr. Benjamin Asher for joining us here on the Informed Fitness Podcast. Dr. Asher mentioned earlier in the episode that a great way to get started on your own mindfulness path is to download the app Headspace. So we're going to include a link to Headspace in the show notes. Dr. Asher also recommended a book for those that are interested in learning how to meditate. The book is called How to Meditate. <laughs> the book is written by Dr. Lawrence LaShawn. Now, if you'd like to download the audiobook for free, simply click the link in the show notes to audibletrial.com forward slash inbound. Sign up for a free 30-day membership trial and download the book how to Meditate, or really any book you like. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from. If you decide to cancel your membership for any reason, you keep the book. It's that simple. And while you're in there, you can pick up audiobooks from other guests that we've had on the Informed Fitness Podcast, and you'll enjoy discounts of up to 30% just by being an Audible member. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash inbound to receive your free audiobook from Audible. Well, we've given you a free audiobook. How about a free Power of 10 workout? 
then click on over to the Inform Fitness website. That's informfitness.com, of course, and the link will be in the show notes. Once you're at the webpage, you'll find a free slow-motion, high-intensity workout waiting for you. Just click the Try Us Free button right there on the homepage, fill out the form, pick your location, and experience a free full-body workout that you will complete in just about 20 to 30 minutes. Hey, thanks so much for listening, and we invite you to join us for the Big 5-0 next time. It's episode 50. Until then, for Adam Zuckerman and Mike Rogers of Inform Fitness, I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network.